You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. This week, we're joined by two co-hosts, Two for the price of one. And of course, since we don't charge for the show, that means that you get two without paying an extra dime. We have Nicholas Redfern, and we have Christopher O'Brien, and later on in the show, we'll be talking to David Hatcher Childress about his latest book called Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. Now, we know the co-hosts all have other lives other than the show. They don't spend 24-7 working with me. If they did, they'd be very poor. So they have to have real lives in addition to this kind of life. And so I'll ask you, Chris, what have you been working on recently what are your plans lots of video uh, actually i've been uh, helping produce a retro drive-in double feature series uh, we're up to about five i think five titles and uh you know working on chasing down some reports from the san luis valley I have a very interesting case that occurred uh, about three weeks ago that happened to some visitors uh, a couple visiting from rome and they were staying in the valley and had a very interesting experience in a guest house where a super bright object uh, circled the house and very close proximity and some uh, 20 minutes later i have an unrelated report very similar from uh, about 50 miles south uh, near the Great Sand Dunes that uh, has a very similar description. So, I'm Would you describe the geography better for our listeners as to precisely what we're talking about in case they're looking over their Google Maps or something? Right. Well, the San Luis Valley is the world's largest alpine valley. It's located in south-central Colorado and kind of geologically extends down into New Mexico. And uh, about the halfway point on the east side of the valley is the world's uh, most mysterious sand dune desert. And it seems to be the kind of the bullseye spot in the San Luis Valley for a lot of very interesting reports. Uh, the Crestone area is about 15 miles north of there. And these two events happened uh, within about a half hour, 20 minutes of one another. Very similar sounding descriptions. I'm tracking down witnesses uh, to the second event. I've been in contact now with the couple from Rome. They're back in Italy. I'm going to be doing an interview with them and uh, getting the particulars of these events uh, figured out. The other event had quite a number of witnesses. It was a group of campers down at the Great Sand Dunes. So that's, uh, you know, one of uh, actually a number of reports that I'm working on. And uh, I'm also getting ready to do a trip up there. I'm going to be speaking at the Angel Fire Conference that Nick actually and Greg spoke at last year. I'll be there this year. Um, that's this coming weekend. That's an interesting question here. When you do these kinds of sessions where you speak before an audience, what kind of preparation do you do or do you have kind of a fixed slideshow or something? Well, I've got five or six different talks that I can do. Um, I do have PowerPoint presentations for each of them. I'm the only uh, regional person at this year's conference, so I'll be doing the San, my, my standard Stan Luis Valley presentation, which normally runs about two, two and a half hours. I'm going to have to cut it back to about an hour and a half. So are you available to give speeches around the country? They have to obviously pay your plane fare or send you an airplane. You know, like if you want to do a lecture over at Apple headquarters, Steve Jobs has a jet. Yeah, he can just fly me over. You know, I don't do that many conferences. I'm not really uh, on the, uh, the A-list for conferences. Uh, speakers because a lot of what I have to say is heretical in the uh, UFO community. I think that might have some impact, but um, I have uh, spoken at least a dozen conferences over the years. I average about one or two a year, probably. 
Nick Redfern, you are always writing 100 books at a time. So how do you sort it out? What have you been working on recently? What are you working on in the near future? Well, actually, um, right now, I have a new book out called Final Events, which is probably going to be a very, perhaps the most controversial UFO-related book I've ever written. For about the last four years, I've been hot on the trail of a, almost like a think tank type group within the government that has investigated the UFO phenomenon very, very clandestinely for many years, but has, I guess, gone under the radar and has concluded that UFOs exist, but totally dismisses the extraterrestrial hypothesis and concludes that these things are quite literally demonic. Uh, and when I say literally demonic, I do mean literally like the minions of Satan preparing for Armageddon and that the whole abduction UFO angle is like a, a smokescreen, a deception. Now, of course, there are a lot of people within the, in the UFO research field over the years who supported this theory, you know, who've concluded that there's something, I guess, occult-driven about the subject. What hasn't really been written about too much until now is the fact that there are people within government who have, I guess, organized bodies and meetings that have come to this conclusion. Demonic? Really? Yes, uh -huh. literally, yeah. I mean, a number of books have been written on this subject. Um, there was a guy named Nelson Pacheco and Tommy Bland. They wrote one in the 1990s called Unmasking the Enemy. Throughout the years, there's probably been six or seven books that cover this whole area. The idea that, you know, we're just being geared up for Armageddon and the aliens aren't what they appear to be. But again, when you sort of, I guess, find that there are people in government who prepared files and had meetings and clandestinely interviewed abductees, um, it, the best way I can describe it, it almost comes across as like a, a radical extremist fundamentalist MJ-12 type organization, something like that, where they're very much belief driven by the fact that they hold these beliefs, some of them, in the first place prior to becoming members of the group. So in other words, it's kind of like, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, the conclusions or the belief system. And that's that's one of the things I stress in the book as well. Wow. Boy, talk about heretical. I thought I thought I was heretical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a very Jeez. weird story because... I better watch how I use that term. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that the people actually talk about is this whole angle of, well, if aliens exist, why aren't they coming here to destroy us or to save us? And according to this group, neither scenario fulfills the real modus operandi, if you like. And according to them, what they've concluded is going on is that the aliens, quote aliens, every other term, literal demons, fallen angels, don't want to destroy us, but they don't want to help us, obviously. What they actually conclude is that the Earth itself, in the form it is now, essentially is a farm, and that upon our death, they harvest human souls as like a life force. And it almost comes across as like a matrix scenario where we live this life, and then the, the next life, there is no next life. It's almost like describing as a form of like archaic technology that's driven by ancient rite and ritual rather than machines. And they talk about the idea of human souls being harvested for this poorly understood life energy that these entities are supposed to feed upon. So in other words, they don't want to destroy the planet. They actually want us to keep on living as we are because we're the equivalent of a farm that they feed upon. And again, you know, that's a highly controversial theory. But, you know, the idea of recycling souls is something that has actually come up on a number of occasions within within uh, abduction research. It's just, you know, some researchers have viewed it from a positive perspective. 
others haven't. Well, we know Dr. David Jacobs talks of hybrids, and we can get into that. That's almost an entirely different discussion. So this book is coming out when? This will be out in about four days' time, and it's called so Final Event. Final Event, and by the way, that means this book will be available when you hear this episode, and we'll have Nick back to talk more about it because we're really curious. But today, we have a totally different subject, or maybe not. We're going to be talking about the book by David Hatcher Childress called Yetis, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants. Chris, kind of give us a quick overview before we bring David on. Sure, Gene. This is a subject that I've always had quite a fascination with personally, uh, having grown up in the Pacific Northwest. And David, too, uh, from very early on when he was, I think, uh, about 10, Roger Patterson uh, came to his school and did a presentation. This was prior to his famous, of course, uh, footage from Bluff Creek that everyone has seen a zillion times. And I think that that uh, particular presentation kind of sparked a real uh, interest in David in this subject. And in the intervening years now, um, he's traveled all over the world. And one of the things that he's constantly uh, open to and is always curious about is uh, reports of of hairy giants and Sasquatches, uh, Bigfoot, uh, however you want to call them. And uh, in the East, of course, they're called Yetis. And he's had an interest in this subject and is one of the, the people that I think has more knowledge about the Eastern version, the Yeti from Asia, than anyone that I've encountered. And his recent book is just packed, filled with just wonderful stories and accounts that go all the way back uh, into the Middle Ages even of these uh, very enigmatic creatures. And we're going to have a really good time, I think, uh, discussing this with him. David Hatcher Childress coming up next on The Paracast. As you know, the PowerCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers, for listeners of the PowerCast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on on the PowerCast. Yet another book worth considering from Audible.com is Lies and Deception, UFOs and the Secret Agenda from Timothy Good once again and also from our old friend Nick Pope. As you know, Nick Pope has also been on the PowerCast. This is another book that you're definitely going to want to check out. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. 
If the cost of your prescriptions are getting out of control, you want to listen carefully to this. RxDrugCard.com is a simple, innovative program designed to give individuals the same purchasing power as large HMOs and insurance companies. As a member of RxDrugCard.com, you'll enjoy savings of up to 80% on all prescription medications at over 52,000 USA pharmacies, including Walmart, Walgreens, and Eckert's. Don't risk ruining your health by using cheap, counterfeit foreign drugs. This program provides savings on safe, genuine, FDA-approved medications. Medications with low membership fees, unlimited use, no age or income requirements, and coverage for all pre-existing conditions. RxDrugCard.com is an absolute must for anyone who pays for their own prescriptions. Enroll today for as little as $4.50 per month at www.rxdrugcard.com and start saving immediately. RxDrugCard.com is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit RxDrugCard.com or call 888-216-2461. That's 888-216-2461. And now for another exciting minute from Life Change Tea. To all our Life Change Tea customers, it's sale time. Buy three, get one free. Buy three packages of Life Change Tea and get one package absolutely free. Now to all of you that have not tried Life Change Tea, here's your chance. Buy three, get one free. Clean toxins and chemicals inside your body. Lose inches off your waist and you could lose that excess weight that's been driving you crazy. And with our buy three, get one free sale, it's a great time to order. So here's how. Log on to getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Look for our special. Or you can call us at 928-308-0408. That's 928-308-0408. 0408. It feels good to be clean, and it feels good to lose weight, and it really feels good to save money. So order now at getthetea.com. On air, online, and on demand. They say we offer simple answers to complex problems. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to News at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. We are joined for his second visit on the Paracast by David Hatcher Childress. His recent book is Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants, one among many books that he's published and written over the years. Our co-hosts this week are Nicholas Redfern and Chris O'Brien. Now, David, how did you become interested in looking for strange creatures, specifically Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants? Well, you know, I've always been interested in cryptozoology and and just zoology and unknown animals. But uh, when I was in high school... Junior high school, actually, in Durango, Colorado, Roger Patterson came to our high school, and it was uh, 1967 or something, and gave a presentation. This was before he had taken, in fact, his his famous uh, Bluff Creek, California, Bigfoot footage. So he was really talking about stuff from his early book. Uh, his his book, Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist, was for sale, and I bought a copy, probably got him to autograph it even, and and that kind of that got me going, really. I've, from then on out, I bought other books on Bigfoot and hand on UFOs and paranormal and even books like Chariots of the Gods by Eric von Donneken and... Now I'm the author myself of over 20 books. How about that? Now, with regard to strange creatures, 
How did you do your investigation? Did you look up written information? Did you go on the scene, on site to talk to people? How did you do it? Well, uh, most of my research uh, is done uh, through through books and the Internet and interviewing people. With regard to Yetis and, uh, and, and to Bigfoot to a point, uh, I've gone on certain expeditions and trips myself. I've been to Nepal uh, a number of times. And on those trips, I've gone into Yeti areas. I've talked to Sherpas and other people who've claimed to have seen Yetis or um, taken photographs of footprints and things like that. And as my book on uh, Yeti Sasquatch and Hairy Giants, much of that book towards the end is about really um, lesser-known um, Bigfoot and Skunk Ape reports throughout the United States, including Illinois and Arkansas, Florida, uh, all over the eastern parts of the U.S. And um, one of my own personal uh, investigations there was with the DuPont Monster, which is a uh, well-known Bigfoot case in Seneca, Illinois, which is really uh, just, oh, 60, 70 miles southwest of Chicago. Now, in the course of this investigation, did you find anything that would lead you to believe that there were a fair number or any reasonable number of hoaxes being perpetrated here? I certainly think that there are uh, Bigfoot hoaxes being you know, perpetrated, and particularly when you go on the Internet and look at some of the photos and video footage there, uh, it's clear that, that a lot of it's actually a hoax. And it's finding you know, the, the, the truth that's out there, shall we say, it's it's not my opinion though that you know people who report Bigfoot uh, encounters, uh, skunk ape encounters, or or Yeti encounters for that matter are yeah, fakers or people who are making up stories for their own um, just you know for themselves or something. Most Bigfoot stories that I've come across seem to be genuine, and and mainly because the people have no real reason to uh, be deceptive. Um, I found really that people are reluctant to tell their stories about Bigfoot, largely because they think that their friends and others won't believe them. And it makes them look stupid and kind of foolish, kind of dumb. Oh, you saw Bigfoot, you know, or this or that happened. And so I, in my mind, the people who actually come out and say, yeah, this is what I saw. I mean, they're, they're bucking the trend. And and actually, you know, they're being brave by saying, uh, yeah, I know what I saw, and this is what happened to me. Now, let's let's look at the background of the legends of strange creatures. Now, at the beginning of the book, you're talking about the giants in the Bible and elsewhere. So before we see if there's any connection, what were these giants all about? The whole stories of giants and wild men of your uh, Bigfoot, of course, it's often said to be um, 8, 9, 10, 12 feet tall, making them, of course, literal giants. We get many stories of giants, uh, like from the Bible, uh, the famous story of David and Goliath, of course, uh, the sons of God, Anakim and Nephilim and things like that. They were apparently 10, 12 feet tall. Stories of giants have always fascinated me, and it's my belief that people uh, were taller in ancient times, and we've been getting shorter over the years. But my research there with with the giants was really to really bring out the the early stories of wild men, and they were often giants too, and that these these guys who are 
living on the edge of civilization. They're they're humans, but they're not completely human. Um, cavemen, as you might say, uh, Neanderthals, perhaps. In some cases, they're just perhaps uh, crazy people who've been outcast from society and now live deep in the woods without clothing, sort of the village idiot kind of a thing. And, uh, I mean, this is a, a real phenomenon. We, particularly uh, in Europe, in the Middle Ages, stories of wild men were very common. And the idea that, that some of these guys were, of course, unusually tall, like Bigfoot. And the big question there with with wild men and, and hairy giants, in a sense, is whether they're really humans or whether they're these ape men, uh, uh, which is kind of what Sasquatch and Yetis appear to be. They're, they're humans, in a sense, but very hairy. They're stronger than us. Um, in my book, I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but, yeah, there's e- even stories of Sasquatch and Yetis mating with humans, uh, both with uh, males and female humans uh, mating with male and female Yetis and Bigfoot. We heard about in the Bible about giants mating with human women, quote-unquote, but wouldn't it also be kind of unusual here about the fact that I got the impression that the giants of old were fairly advanced beings, but then we're talking about Neanderthals and other primitive beings. So isn't there some kind of contradiction or line of demarcation here? Well, sure. Uh, and that's a good point. Yeah, the, the supposed sons of God who were giants, yeah, they were then advanced beings rather than hairy ape men or something. And in fact, you could argue that these guys, uh, spaceships and all kinds of advanced technology... And uh, so, yeah, so those kind of giants and, and just other human giants. Um, and I, even at the end of that chapter, I run through even some of the modern uh, giants and giantesses that we know about and have been measured. And part of you know my study with that was to look at people, total humans, who were just unusually tall, but were well-proportioned. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll get into that in a moment, David. We have David Hatcher Childress. He's author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants. The co-hosts this week, we have two of them, Nick Redfern, Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Okay, neighbors, here's the problem. Face-to-face business meetings with clients and colleagues are always going to be important. But business travel is a hassle, and it's often a complete waste of money. Well, here's a solution for you. Do more. Travel less with GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is an award-winning online meeting service brought to you by Citrix. With just a click, host sales presentations, training sessions, or product demos right from your own desk. Avoid the hassle of traveling and still exceed your sales goals. Plus, GoToMeeting is just $49 a month for unlimited online meetings. Plus, voice over IP and phone conferencing is included. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcast. Once again, GoToMeeting free for 45 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcast.
Where have all the military surplus stores gone? Don't worry, you don't need one. Because everything you need at Military Surplus is at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com. One of the last surviving true military surplus stores in the country. Go online now to MainMilitary.com and discover a source for hard-to-find surplus items at true surplus prices. Surplus gun cleaning kits as low as $2.99. Complete chemical suits as low as $11.99. See our huge selection of gas masks, filters, and accessories. Finish M10 gas masks are three for $30. And Swiss filters are three for $12. Searching for Strike Anywhere matches? MainMilitary.com has them. Plus a whole new product line of survival and first aid kits and lots more. Get free shipping on orders over $50 only at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com. Or call 877-608-0179. 877-608-0179. MainMilitary.com. The main name in military supply. If you've taken the drug Reglan, this message is for you. If you or a family member has taken the drug Reglan and have been diagnosed with tardive dyskinesia, call the Goldwater Law Firm right now. I'm attorney Bob Goldwater. If you or a loved one has taken Reglan and now have tardive dyskinesia, call us right now. You may be entitled to financial compensation. If you've taken the drug Reglan and have been diagnosed with tardive dyskinesia, call 1-800-272-2300. That's 1-800-272-2300. 1-800-272-2300. This is an attorney advertisement. The Goldwater Law Firm is located at 15849 North 71st Street in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are licensed to practice law only in Arizona, but we associate with other attorneys throughout the country. While we maintain joint responsibility, cases of this type are referred to other attorneys for principal responsibility. Free background information is available upon request. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Not available in all states. That's 1-800-272-2300. I have a very important announcement from our friends at eFoods Direct. Please pay close attention. Due to rapidly rising food costs, eFoods Direct must raise their prices. However, until September 20th, our current supplies are gone. Whichever comes first, eFoods Direct is making a special offer to our listeners. It's the eFoods Direct pre-price increase special. Since 2008, wholesale food costs have risen dramatically, yet eFoods Direct has refused to pass these increases on to you. Unfortunately, they can no longer absorb the recent surge in costs, and have no choice but to raise prices. Until September 20th, or supplies on hand are gone, whichever comes first, not only can you take advantage of the current lower prices, but for every three selected items that you buy, eFoods Direct will give you one free. That's right, buy three, get one free. It's your last chance to get in on the huge savings. Act now. On the web at eFoodsDirect.com or call 1-800-409-5633. That's eFoodsDirect.com on the web or call 800-409-5633. How do you spell hard-hitting talk radio? G-C-N. The Genesis Communications Radio Network. This is Philip Rogno. You're listening to Paracast, one of the most informative shows out there. So listen closely. We return with David Hatcher Childress, author of 20 books, including Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants, one of his most recent titles. We're talking about the strange, large creatures of old and maybe to the present day. Our co-hosts this week are Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Nick, you had some questions. Yeah, I mean, having read the book, David, I thought it was a great addition, not least for the one reason being this, the huge size of the book for, for the listeners. Uh, it's almost 400 pages long and has some excellent and very little-known 
uh, artwork contained in the book, particularly a lot of colour photographs. I think that's one of the things that, that's going to greatly appeal to people. But one of the things that's kind of come up when Jean was talking, you know, was this, I won't say contradiction, but the angle that some of these creatures in history, you know, come across as very intelligent and advanced, others less so. And I was wondering, from your perspective and the research you've, you've done, do you feel that creatures like Bigfoot, the Yeti, etc., need to be classed separately until we understand what they are, rather than all being offshoots of, of the same creature, if you like? In other words, do you think we, we could be actually looking at several different types of mystery ape? Yes, sure. No, I, I very much agree with that. And um, even Yetis, there are um, three or four different types of Yetis, different colors, different sizes. There's a smaller one that's all, only you know four or five feet tall. I mean, they're actually a little bit smaller than a human. I think that the ones like the Orang Penek in, in Sumatra and parts of Malaysia, this is also probably also a slightly different species, uh, more akin to an orangutan. Particularly with, say, Bigfoot in, in uh, North America, the most famous stories are really from the Pacific Northwest, and the Bigfoot there is really probably the largest of all of these creatures, it seems. And these guys are genuinely huge and and giants by you know, that kind of reckoning, where you could easily encounter some being that's 9, 10 feet tall. When you look at more the skunk apes of the the southern states and in the swamps, they're clearly smaller animals and more about the size of a human. Uh, you have different uh, colors of fur. Um, reddish brown is often, you know, the most common uh, color that, that they're said to be, but they can be very dark, even grayish. And then you have the stories, uh, which I find particularly fascinating, of these white-haired Bigfoots that are commonly seen. And they appear to be some kind of elderly, you know, cast-out Bigfoot who's been kind of like in like lions do this, where they the younger lions force the old lions out of the pride and they have to become a, like a rogue lion hunting for themselves. And it even appears that this happens uh, with Bigfoot. And some of the encounters, I, I believe, of some of the Bigfoot who really do range close to civilization, start dumpster diving and things like that, are these older rogue Bigfoot, and they're they're often, you know, pure white. Uh, this one that was seen recently in North Carolina was on the news. This was in uh, in June, I guess it was, and all the major news networks uh, carried this. And it was this mountain man up in the hills of North Carolina, and he called the police, claiming two close encounters with what he described as a 10-foot-tall, white-haired Bigfoot. And curiously with that, he claimed that that Bigfoot had six fingers on each hand. And that goes back to the Bible, which is curious, where uh, some of the Philistines and these giants of the Bible, they were also said to have six fingers on each hand. How about that? And I guess, kind of, on, again, on the, the angle of what these creatures are, I mean, the, I think one of the things that's sort of, one of the themes that runs through many of these accounts is that these creatures are highly elusive whether it's in the Himalayas, in the Pacific Northwest, in Europe. 
And I wondered if you felt the image of these creatures just being sort of dumb animals that have managed to hide from society conveniently for so long is valid, or do you think the fact that we're still looking for them suggests that mentally, in some respects at least, they might be highly evolved and, and that has some, some bearing on the fact that we're still scratching their, our heads while they're still running around doing their thing? <laughs> Well, right. I, I think it's 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 both those in a sense. Uh, they are highly evolved, I believe, in this in that their hearing and sight and uh, sense of smell are very very keen. Um, they're nocturnal. They avoid uh, humans uh, at all costs, virtually. Um, they do. I, I, what I found in my book as I was researching it, particularly in the the. the all the things in the eastern United States was that these skunk apes, these Bigfoot Sasquatch guys, the grass man, that they do live within uh, areas that are relatively fairly inhabited and populated. Well, I mean, I think even my own impression originally was that uh, Bigfoot and Yeti lived in the most uh, remote mountain forests, and, and I mean, gosh, there's up in British Columbia and, and Washington State and, and Northern California even, I mean, there's huge, vast forests, uh, massive wilderness areas where all kinds of, you know, unknown creatures could live. But when you start thinking that just swamps and forests in, in Illinois and New Jersey and Pennsylvania, uh, North Carolina can also have these creatures. That's where you start to really uh, sort of raise an eyebrow and think, wow, you know, are are there really these large unknown animals, these ape men, you know, living in such close proximity to, to humans and, and civilization? And what I've come to the conclusion is that, yes, they are. And, uh, they're they're practically in your backyard. They're sneaking around late at night. Um, they they take the most darkest little ravines and and uh, and river uh, streams, you know, to to get to whatever some orchard where they want to uh, pick peaches. Uh, and that was one of the stories in my book. To even, like I say, dumpster diving, or sometimes they're just crossing a road from one side of a swamp to another, and someone on a, you know, late at night is coming down that highway and catches a Bigfoot in the headlights kind of thing. And it all happens very quickly. People often, you know, they're startled. They don't know what they've seen. They they will often call the police, or they tell their parents, or they suddenly turn around and go to the police department tell this amazing story of what's all happened to them and uh, for a day or two it's on the local radio station even gets into the newspaper and then everybody forgets about it again. And do you think these creatures are more ape than human or the other way around or is it somewhere in between do you think? That the apes are human? No. What? I didn't get that. Okay. Do you think these creatures are more ape than human or more I guess, like primitive humans than ape, or is it somewhere in between? Well, somewhere in between, but they, they are they're very similar to humans, of course, and, and people, when they first see them, often mistake them for a human, except they're not wearing any clothes, they're large, they're uh, hairy, of course. 
And they do. They look like monsters, uh, but still have this human semblance. Mm-hmm. When you look at the genetics of apes, and I'm not some um, expert on apes, really, but I certainly looked into it a little bit to, in, in my research, but orangutans are one chromosome uh, away from being uh, a human. And that one chromosome is, is significant, but, hu- but orangutans and humans, in theory, could mate and create some sort of half-breed human orangutan. I'll tell you what, we'll have to get into the interbreeding and all the other possibilities in our next section. We have David Hatcher Childress. We're talking about his most recent book, Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. We have two co-hosts for the price of one, Nicholas Redfern and Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code PowerCast. Once again, use the coupon code PowerCast and sign up at this special address, thepowercast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, thepowercast.com slash gator. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Question. What would you rather drink? Acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. 
He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. This is Alex Jones with five good reasons you should consider buying a solar power generator. Number one, new climate legislation could easily double or triple your electric bill. Number two, our new energy czar wants to control how much power your electric company allows you to have. It's true. Total government control of electricity in the name of smart grid technology is coming. Number three, in some areas of the country, the power grid is dangerously overloaded. And now new socialist legislation is only compounding the problem. Number four, dangerous weather is always a threat to local grids. Every year, thousands of families lose their power from weather-related outages. Number five, a solar power generator provides powerful backup insurance and peace of mind. Folks, I really believe in the solar power generators offered by Solutions from Science, one of my oldest sponsors. You can get more information at www.mysolarbackup.com. That's mysolarbackup.com. Remember, the government doesn't own the sun, so go to mysolarbackup.com or call 1-877-327-0365. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I just want to hear more of it. We are the GCN Radio Network. Genesis. Genesis. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. We return with David Hatcher Childress. He's author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. We were talking in the last section about possible interbreeding. Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern are the co-hosts. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Chris, you want to take David on that journey of possible interbreeding between Yeti and humans? Yeah, that's uh, one of the more interesting elements, I guess, uh, in, in one sense of the word, uh, of your book, David, is some very interesting stories, claims by people who say they've been abducted, both male and female, that they've been abducted by Bigfoots. Um, and the one story that was particularly striking, I believe, was the woman, I think, in Russia who actually mated with a Bigfoot and and had a son. Uh, do you want to talk about that? That's a fascinating uh, story. Well, right. And I uh... That um, that was in Dagestan, and uh, in in Mongolia, uh, Central Asia, the the, the Russian um, Republic areas. Typically, the Yetis there are known as an Almas, A L M A S, or some derivative of that. And it was uh, yeah, there was during World War II when all kinds of unusual things were going on. They realized that there was this family uh, that was living in, in Dagestan, and they had captured a, a woman, a female Bigfoot, I should say, an Almas, and it was kept in this, um, this village as a captive, but they somehow managed to tame this female Bigfoot, and it actually uh, married somebody. Zana uh, was the name they gave her. She... She was unable to speak, but she did have several uh, sons. And in the 1950s, uh, the Soviets actually uh, did some studies with them, and there's a photograph in my book of a guy named Quit from 1954, and he's apparently some kind of a half-human, half-almost Bigfoot character, and, uh, you know, he's was uh, just a normal villager in this uh, just 
little town. I don't think he went out and became a you know rocket scientist or a or a doctor or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, you know, there's other stories like that too. There's I've got photos in the book of a very strange woman in Brazil who also looks like a part human, part ape woman. Uh, and whatever happened to her, we don't really know. In Nepal, there's a very famous story, which happened in the 1920s, of um, a Sherpa gal named Noma Dingma, and she was in a remote uh, yak pasture watching her yaks when she was allegedly abducted by a Yeti. And you have this whole story of a Yeti Lonely Hearts Club kind of a thing where this lonely Yeti finds what is really, a, in a sense, sort of a lonely Sherpa girl, although she's not a willing captive of this Yeti. But he takes her uh, up to a cave up in the mountains. And uh, in Nepal, too, is what, what particularly with Nepal and Sikkim and Bhutan and and other areas of the Himalayas and uh, uh, kind of eastern Tibet, you have these steep mountains and icy passes and, and whatnot, but you have deep ravines and um, river areas like the Aran Valley. And there's literally just within several thousand feet and within a few miles of uh, this tremendous eco-range of deep forest and even literally jungle where then also snow-capped peaks and icy passes and things like that. So with her, she was then taken, uh, rather uh, rather than go up higher in the mountains to some icy snow cave, they're taken down into these river valleys that are deep and and they're heavily forested. And then there's caves there, she claimed. I mean, for years, she lived with this Yeti. He would turn over, this is what she claimed, giant rocks in the streams and things. And under those rocks, there would be all these little frogs and fishes, and he would gather them up, and they would eat them. They lived this hunter-gathering existence. They slept in this cave. She described it, too, as, you know, uh, she was really an unwilling wife of this Yeti. But over time, on cold nights and things like that, yes, they began having sex. And she ultimately had a child by this Yeti. The story then, and there's there's several stories similar to this in both Bhutan and in, in Nepal, where they have a ch- child, and there's another story similar where a, a man is kidnapped by a female Yeti, a Sherpa. He, they also have a child together. But over several years of being a captive of this Yeti, they devise a way to escape, and it's not easy. Uh, but somehow they're able, to, when there's a chance, to run, get across a big ravine or a stream, kick off a, a, a log or something that, that gives them access, and somehow escape back to their village, which isn't really that far, but still in those steep, remote mountains, you know, can be... Uh, several-day hike over a mountain pass. Well, what happens in each of these stories is the the Yeti husband or, or wife, in this case, comes back to the village or shows this half-baby, half-Yeti, uh, half-human, half-Yeti baby, but then it tears that baby up and kills it 
right in front of the father or the mother that's a human, ripping it, I mean, just ripping its arms and legs off, just tearing it into pieces, and then leaving. Uh, in, in some cases, too, the villagers hunted down one of these yetis and killed it because it was coming every night to this village where they where it was, you know, knew that its kidnapped ex-wife was living. That woman, Noma Dingma, who was very famous in Nepal, I mean, her life was shattered by being kidnapped by a yeti, basically. And she entered a Buddhist monastery and lived the last of her life as a Buddhist nun. There's a famous story, too, about in Canada of a guy, a Canadian, back in the 20s, and he was kidnapped as well. Uh, by a family of yetis and held captive only for a few days. But they, too, seemed to want him to marry this yeti, female, young yeti that was there. And that's a famous story. You probably know that one, Nick. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stories like this, you know, where you get human interaction with these creatures. And that's one of the things that fascinates me is that it makes me well, suspect, at least, that there's a connection between us and them, you know, you don't necessarily see Bigfoot having, you know, um, a fascination with, I don't know, wolves or, or bears or, or whatever, you know, but they seem to be fascinated with people, which somehow suggests that on some level, at least in my mind, that there's, I guess, like a physical connection or a, a species connection somehow. They are. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. They are fascinated by humans. They don't have fire, and this is one of the things that uh, comes up uh, continually with people who do interact with Yetis, Almas, Bigfoot, is that, yeah, they live in caves and these nests. They use tools and things. They do communicate somehow with uh, clicks and sounds and things, but they, they're afraid of fire. Uh, campfire will keep them away. Um, they can't speak as we can, but they want to. They they see humans as you know something that they wish they could attain. We have these special skills of speaking and interaction. We're wearing clothes and things. One of the thing, one of the stories too in Nepal is that the Yetis want to imitate humans. A famous story that's told in both Bhutan and Nepal is of some yetis that are annoying some remote village. And so what the villagers do to get rid of them, and they know the yetis are watching them, they have a big festival, and they make a big cauldron of, of beer, and they drink the beer, and they're getting drunk, and they're dancing. And then what they did was grab their machetes, these kukris are called in Nepal, these big sort of knife swords. They're, they're really big. They're for chopping woods and stuff. And then they pretended to attack each other. And they were hacking each other with their these kukris, but they were just doing it pretend. And then they left their kukris, these swords, on the ground, and there was still plenty of beer, and they all went to bed. It sounds like they're just like any normal human, as a matter of fact. We have David Hatcher Childress. <laughs> He's author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. Our co-host this week, Nicholas Redfern, Christopher O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast.
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We return for more time with David Hatcher Childress, the author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern are the co-hosts. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Now, call me dumb about all this stuff, David, and lots of people call me that. All right, I'm not understanding the separation here or the connection between the giants of old in biblical times that were highly advanced people and the Sasquatch Yetis, whatever you're talking about here, that seem to be very primitive, barely in the caveman stage. So educate me once again. Well, the first part of the book, the very first chapter, is about giants. And and then I go on to wild, hairy men. But because uh, Yetis and Sasquatch are often very tall, yeah, they, I, in my mind, they fit into the category of giants. Uh, not all Bigfoot are giants or Yetis, as some and skunk eggs particularly. They're, they can only be, sometimes they're only five feet tall or so. But so, yeah, the, my early chapter was a discussion and exploration of giants. And, you know, as I, as I talk about it in there, many giants of yore are, they are humans. They're not Yetis. They're not Bigfoot. They're, they're human beings who are uh, unusually tall. Apparently, they did have six fingers on each hand. But, yeah, they're humans with, uh, they talk, they carry swords, they wear clothes, they uh, can deal with fire, they can be very smart. Um, there's, you know, there's nothing really that holds them back as some animal or something. Continue, and then I want to ask you a question. Go ahead. Okay, but then there's other giants, and they apparently appear to not really be fully human. They're some kind of ape men, and they're giants too. And apparently some of them also have six fingers on each hand. So you you have to wonder a little bit if some of the giants, say, say like Goliath or somebody, or some of these guys who allegedly had six, you know, fingers or six toes, whether they were perhaps part uh, human and part Sasquatch or something like that, or or rather, I think, in many cases, human beings, uh, particularly in the ancient time, everything was bigger back then, and human beings 10, 20,000 years ago were taller than us. They were bigger, but they were humans. 
They weren't Bigfoot. They weren't ape men. They're human beings. Okay, so therefore, would that mean that they were the normal-sized people and we are the little people, maybe somewhere along the line, the race, for whatever reason, interbreeding, whatever, they developed a species that was much smaller and didn't live as long. Maybe that's another issue, too. These giants supposedly lived hundreds of years, and look what we have, four score and 20 and then some? <laughs> yes, right. And that is one of the stories, that, that these ancient giants, uh, like the biblical ones, yeah, they lived hundreds of years. Uh, Adam, too. Sometimes the, they're said to be, you know, gigantically huge and tall, 40 feet. 50 feet tall or something. There's Adam's Peak with Adam's footprint in Sri Lanka, and it's a giant footprint of a person who would be, you know, 30 feet tall or something. I've been there and seen it. But, and if you are a pilgrim and you go there, and Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Christians all go to that mountain to see this footprint. And they, in many cases, actually believe it's a footprint of some 40-foot-tall, you know, super-ancestor of mankind. Uh, I'm personally not so sure about that myself. Uh, it's probably more just some bizarre natural formation that looks like a footprint, and I've seen it. But yes, I think that there were, that in ancient times, particularly, as I said, uh, before the last ice age, everything was bigger. There were giant insects. There were woolly mammoths running around. Bears were bigger. Saber-toothed cats and lions, they were all bigger. Cattle were bigger and bison. And just in general, it was, everything was much bigger. But then in the, in the last cataclysmic change, which was really the end of that last ice age, it was mass extinctions. Many of the giant animals were destroyed. Everything uh, got a little bit smaller. And uh, including humans, and so here we are today. Really, humans have been getting shorter throughout history, and the main reason for that is warfare. Uh, war is mankind's favorite sport uh, in, in ancient times. Uh, it's what they did for fun, and it was much like a football team. You put the big guys up front, and they all get killed. So wars basically make people shorter because the the tall guys all go to war and they all get killed. We kill the, the best and the brightest, war. and we bring back the people who maybe aren't quite as smart and aren't quite as tall and don't live quite as long. We leave them behind. Well, it would be like that. In, in the last hundred years or so, largely because of better nutrition, people have been getting taller. But I think that's, that's just in the most recent time, and it's, it's because of... Warfare is not so much the big guys up front anymore. It's more technologically done. And people do have better health care, nutrition, and whatnot. And so people are now getting a little bit taller. But people really, in my mind, were much taller in ancient times. Now, another thing along that is that it, it seems that people in ancient times, too, interacted more with these ape men that Sasquatch, Yetis, Almas, uh, the, the skunk apes and whatnot, even though I think for those, and they're animals who want to stay clear of humans largely, but it may be that in, in those ancient times there was more interaction, less fear, and, and perhaps even bizarrely also some kind of intermarriage there. 
you have you have strange stories of even battles fought between hairy ape men and things like that. There was a strange one that I have in the book that goes back to Alexander's army and a strange battle they fought somewhere in uh, uh, Western India with these people who they describe as kind of ape men and hairy. Although they had these guys also did have uh, arrows and and some weapons and things. So you almost wonder if sort of that certain Yeti, ape men, Sasquatch were used by humans uh, as captives, as uh, even guards or soldiers. There's a famous story in India of uh, Hanuman, who is Rama's buddy, and he's this ape man. But he does all kinds of, he's a hero, does all kinds of things for Rama, helps Rama get his uh, captured wife back. They do all these things. In the more modern uh, mythology there, with where we have our Star Wars movies, and Han Solo's big buddy is this Wookiee, hairy eight-man Chewbacca guy who co-pilots his spaceship with him. But Chewbacca can't talk. Well, he kind of talks, but he, he, he talks in either. another language, though. <laughs> sort of, no, more or less, it sounds like gibberish to me, but what do I know about Star Wars? <laughs> and, you know, after a few drinks in the space bar, he might find, you know, some of the women there looking pretty good. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I've got a question for you, David. It's one that I am constantly asked whenever the subject of Sasquatch Yetis and Hairy Giants comes up is if there's so many of these things out there, I mean, I think we've got them reported in 49 of 50 states, for instance, just in this country. They're spread all over the world. You have all these reports. You have all these legends, stories, uh, some more compelling than others. Why isn't there any physical evidence that is left behind? Why don't we find uh, dead ones, uh, you know, carcasses, skeletal remains, physical evidence that would prove conclusively that these creatures exist. There, there just seems to be, it's devoid of any real physical evidence, although you do have a couple of very intriguing photographs uh, in your book, and uh, there are some relics, I think, in the Far East. But uh, how do you answer the, the skeptical, you know, the first skeptical question that generally comes up is how come we can't find any of these uh, things, uh, remains? Tell you what, David, you can answer that question, but first I have to tell the listeners. We have David Hatcher Childress, author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants. The co-hosts are Chris O'Brien, Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in... The Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast 
t-shirt. Hey neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store store.theparacast.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. That sound could save your life. In our fast-changing world, you and your loved one may have limited time to escape dangerous nuclear radiation after a power plant accident, terror attack, or dirty bomb explosion. When that happens, you'll be glad you have NukeAlert. More than just a radiation detector, NukeAlert is a patented radiation monitor and alarm used nationwide by federal, state, and local first responders and the Department of Defense. NukeAlert attached to your keychain is always with you and on 24-7 to promptly warn you of unseen but dangerous rising radiation levels. Nuke Alert incorporates a 10-year battery backed up by a 10-year warranty. See Nuke Alert in action at KI4U.com. That's K-I, the number 4, the letter U.com. When ordering anything at KI4U.com, type in GCN in the comment box at checkout and you'll get free two of their new just-released peel-and-stick rad sticker decimeters as a free bonus. Go to KI4U.com today and be ready for anything nuclear unleashed tomorrow. Ten years, a decade of talk. Great Talk Radio is here on the Genesis Communications Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. 
We have David Hatcher Childress joining us on the PowerCast this week. He's author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. We're looking at all of them, or maybe they're all the same thing. We're talking with our co-hosts, Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg, and on the PowerCast, Chris was asking about evidence. And then we broke for a quick station break, and some people think they're not quick enough and they should be quicker. We do our best. David, what's your response? Where's the evidence? And, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. I think uh, one of the most common ones, it, and it's, you know, why aren't hikers up in, you know, Washington State or something hiking down the trail and finding a dead Bigfoot, you know, lying there? And then they could, of course, they'd whip out their cell phones, take a lot of good pictures, call the rangers, chopper it out, and, it, you know, be at the Smithsonian or something. And and here's why that doesn't occur. I mean, if you're walking down the trail in uh, in Washington State or British Columbia, you're not ever going to see a dead Bigfoot. I'm a I've hiked a lot, and I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Actually, I went to high school in, in Montana, and I've hiked a lot in the Himalayas as well. And I can tell you, in all my time of hiking, I've never walked down the trail and found a dead deer, a dead bear, dead mountain lion. Uh, I've never found a dead badger. I mean, you just don't really see that kind of thing. Bears must die out in the woods somewhere, and uh, they, you know, and it, it may well be. Some hikers have occasionally just somehow, you know, found a dead bear, but it doesn't really happen. And uh, and things things decay quickly. If a if some old Bigfoot died in some heavily bushy ravine, that's kind of where they they live. Yeah, he's not going to become a fossil. Um, his body will decay and, and uh, really turn to dust pretty quick. I mean, just in a matter of days. But, it, I mean, it's certainly possible that somebody could encounter a skeleton or something like that. Now, as far as that goes, and having some kind of a body or a relic, uh, they, I mean, those things do exist. There are mummified Yeti hands and scalps. I've, I've seen them. They're in the Himalayas. Some of them have been stolen, in fact. Edmund Hillary, uh, one of the first guys to climb Mount Everest with the Sherpa Tenzing Norgay, he was involved himself in having the hair of one of these Yeti scalps analyzed. And it was inconclusive. Some people, some scientists said, oh, well, this is, you know, uh, from a, it was kind of, it was, the hair was red. And they thought it was from a sero, which is a kind of a red-haired goat that lives in Tibet. But other uh, studies of it as well were inconclusive. And they said, yeah, we, we cannot identify this. That's one of the most important things that's been going on in Sumatra and Malaysia, uh, also in Bhutan at this point, where British teams, particularly the, for some reason the British are keen on this. And the British have always, like you, Nick, you know, they're, they're into mystery animals and, and the unexplained. So they want proof. And trying to get hair samples... And blood samples from these things is key. And that's exactly what they're doing. The kind of traps that I'm aware of that people use, who are basically these monster hunters trying to get hair of Bigfoot and some blood, is to set up, a, a say, a, a chicken, and you put nails and uh, with wood and something that they want to grab, and the idea is that when they're grabbing a chicken off of a tree or some pole that you've put up, that you're able to, to they, they scratch themselves. And what happens is they, 
they leave some hair and blood on these nails and spikes that you put there, and that's what you can use. Then you can study that hair and, and ideally that blood, and, and that's what they've done. And they've basically found hair samples that they can't identify from any known animal, and that would basically uh, be evidence of a sort that, yes, there is an unknown animal out there. He is some kind of ape man. Uh, he's got red hair. He, you know, he's, he's eight feet tall. He's this, he's that. And so you're finding that evidence. Now, on top of all that, we have some of the really strange stories of actual bodies, including the Minnesota Iceman uh, that was exhibited for some years, Ivan T. Sanderson and Bernard Hovelman the famous Belgian cryptozoologist, they both studied the Iceman for a couple of days up in Minnesota. Uh, he's encased in ice, but they both, and they, were, they both concluded that this Iceman was real, that it wasn't some wax dummy or some kind of Hollywood model frozen, that it was completely real, and that the hair on it, and even with the Iceman, he had a, he had an, a penis that they could look at, and other parts, he'd been shot through the head. And it wasn't until the FBI got involved in that case. And because he had been shot, and, uh, and that was one of the things with the, the Minnesota Iceman, he had taken a bullet through one eye. And so his, his one eye was missing because a bullet had entered the head. So the FBI at one point wanted to investigate it to see if some murder had uh, taken place in Minnesota or wherever the Minnesota Iceman was originally from. And that's when he disappeared. And at that point, the Minnesota Iceman vanished, and we don't know what happened to it. It's thought now that the Minnesota Iceman came from Southeast Asia and from even Vietnam. And there's, this, there's a special park in Vietnam, the high mountains there along the Cambodian border, and it is known as a place for the Vietnamese Bigfoot or wild man, and they think it might have come from there. Now, I'm going to avoid the jokes, David, about the ice man cometh and goeth, because <laughs> I think people are going to say that's pathetic humor. Okay, so knowing this, that it's so hard to get this evidence, except for occasionally we have these fossil or these skeletal remains. Where are they? Is there no place around the world where all this evidence is collected so scientists can look it over and see what's going on? Well, now, now that's another question here, and I've... And I didn't include this story in my book, actually, but as an archaeologist, and, and basically, you know, most of my research is, is archaeological rather than cryptozoological, and in my archaeological research, I've finally come to the conclusion over time that there genuinely are archaeological cover-ups, and that things are suppressed, evidence comes out that would sort of change history in one way or another, and powers that be, for various reasons, decide to suppress evidence. I've come to the conclusion that with Bigfoot, uh, there, there is something like that also going on. That even I've been told by other people who've been very close to Bigfoot areas and studied them over time, that local rangers and uh, other wildlife officials have kind of, in a, with a wink, acknowledged that these critters are out there, that they know about them. Uh, they're sort of quasi-protected in that sense. Rangers will sometimes tell people who they think are out there hunting for Bigfoot that they shouldn't be shooting at 
these, you know, hairy man apes that they might see. I'll tell you what, uh, let's they, pick up on that in the next section, the cover-up about the information proof about Bigfoot. David Hatcher Childress joins us. The book is Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. Our co-host, Chris O'Brien, Nicholas Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in... Parica. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. The summer specials are here. Colloidal silver, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, glucosamine, chondroitin, super male plex and female plex, memory power, colon enhancer, and more, all on sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Visit HerbalHealer.com now for big summer savings on longevity products like HGH, resveratrol, colloidal minerals, and hundreds of natural health products. Herbal Healer Academy has been a global leader of safe natural medicine, providing natural supplements, correspondence courses, informative news letters with ongoing research information to our members since 1988. Sign up for free online newsletters and don't miss McCain's three-point plan for health at the Herbal Healer Academy website, herbalhealer.com. Find natural ways for weight loss, plus men's, women's, and children's health products, and our famous top-selling four-herb tea. The testimonials are incredible. And so are the summer specials at herbalhealer.com. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature, one person at a time. There are all sorts of things on the market designed to keep you safe when you're out and about. Whistles, mace, you name it. But for real peace of mind for parents, students, and children, you need an iSafe bag. We heard a loud noise, and I could see a flashing in the backpack. The sound was different than a car alarm, so it was a different sound. So we looked to see what it was. I think it's a great idea. Introducing the iSafe bag, a backpack that looks normal until you pull the pin. The iSafe bag emits two powerful sirens and a high-intensity strobe light simultaneously to attract immediate help. Having the iSafe bag gives me a feeling of being safe because I know when I pull the alarm, people will hear it and they'll come and help me. For mobile personal security, get the iSafe bag at iSafeBags.com. That's the letter I-S-A-F-E Bags.com. iSafeBags.com. I thank God that she had that backpack and she had enough sense to use it. It's like having a bodyguard with you all the time. The iSafe bag, the Patented bag with a built-in alarm. Available at iSafeBags.com. You've got your gold, water filters, and storable food. Now for complete self-sufficiency, make your own fuel with Revenor.com. Don't laugh. A quality still from Revenor.com and our free book included with every still is all you need to beat the high cost of gas and stop dependence on foreign oil. Find out how easy it is to legally make your own alcohol fuel at R-E-V-E-N-O-O-R.com. Or call 503-662-4173. Revenor.com. Find quality alcohol still. 
stills. Did somebody say stills? That's how Grandpappy made his own sour mash, and you can too. Revenue stills can be used to make brandies, liquors, whiskey, vodka, and more, all perfectly legal with a permit. You should check into having your own revenue still at revenue.com. That's R E V E N O O R.com. Or call 503 662 4173. One year warranty on all stills from revenue.com. Fine quality alcohol stills. Tired of searching for great talk radio? There's a, a wide range of stuff on here. We are the GCN Radio Network. Genesis, Genesis. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. David Hatcher Childress joining us this week, author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. The co-hosts are Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern. Before I turn it over to Nick, I'm going to ask you about that. Okay, so you're saying, David, this is an unofficial cover-up. Is there an official cover-up? Is there anything that we could basically... Well, right. I mean, I think it's both. There is an unofficial cover-up. Uh, where the local rangers and stuff just don't want to get involved. It's a giant can of worms. They don't want to open. They don't want people shooting Bigfoot, you know, in their part of the forest and actually tell them, you know, not to do it. But here's a story that I thought was very interesting. And I, as I said, I did not include it in the book and came across it, you know, fairly recently, but it was particularly fascinating to me. I was on the internet and it was a, it was a forum, uh, talking about, ex- Exactly this, uh, evidence for Bigfoot, why there's not. And a guy was on the forum, basically gave this story. And that it was after uh, Mount St. Helens blew up in Oregon in, um, was it 1982 or something? What happened there on one side of Mount St. Helens, and, and this is a very famous Bigfoot area, and a number of the most famous Bigfoot incidents happened around there. But what, when the mountain blew up, this giant, wave of super hot, they call it pyroclastic flow of just gas and fire and lava, and it pours down the mountain as a, like a, the blast from an explosion, and it totally destroys everything in its wake, and animals are fried to a crisp, and, and instantly... And that after all this happened, what this man was claiming was that he saw a cleanup operation on one side of Mount St. Helens involving the Army. They had helicopters and things, and that they were removing all of these burned dead animals from the area, which included deer and bear. And he claimed that he saw them also putting dead Sasquatch on the helicopters, who had also been destroyed and burned, killed in this pyroclastic flow, and that they were also loading them onto these helicopters and taking them, you know, away to someplace. And that here were officials, he was claiming, you know, were involved, uh, I mean, it's literally the government, you know, and that they, they have these bodies of these burned Bigfoot and stuff. What's really fascinating with that, where you get into the Minnesota Iceman, these supposed burned bodies of, of Bigfoot from Oregon and stuff like that, 
is that here now the American government actually has got, if not a living Bigfoot, they've got some dead ones. You know what? I want to get into this more detail, David. Okay. It is claimed. So how do we verify the claim? Boy, I don't know. Uh, I don't think we can. We would, at some point, I think what would happen, and hopefully it wouldn't be a hoax, like was it last year? Was the famous hoax where they had, they had these guys in Georgia and they were, the, they were policemen, in fact, claimed that they had, you know, shot Bigfoot. No, they had him in a freezer. Um, there was a big publicity conference and everything for it. Uh, the news was there. Um, and supposedly some Indiana businessman had paid $40,000 or something for this dead Bigfoot. And so money, money had changed hands and everything. And it was all a hoax. And it came down, people were embarrassed. Uh, you know, the silly season of uh, the news, you know, got a story for a day or two. But what would eventually happen, and, and I think that's what's interesting about this story in June from uh, North Carolina, where this mountain man basically, you know, had a confrontation with this 10-foot-tall, white-haired Bigfoot on his property in North Carolina. The police got involved. The police also acknowledged that uh, there had been other reports of Bigfoot there. This mountain man had no reason to just make up stories like this. Uh, that To me, it totally seemed credible. But one of the things he didn't have was a cell phone or a camera. I mean, uh, now, if, he, if his teenage daughter had been with him, she would have immediately whipped a camera out of her pocket, as every teenager has now, and taken video footage, and broad daylight of his, uh, you know, 10-foot-tall Bigfoot, supposedly. And that's what's happening now, is that people have cameras. Everybody is carrying a, a cell phone camera with them all the time. Every, you know, thing that happens to them, they're able to video it. What's also happening, and I talk about this in my book as well, is they're now coming out with these very affordable wildlife cameras that are fixed. And you put them on a tree or something like that and uh, walk away and then come back a few days later, and it will take photos of, uh, you know, the wildlife along the trail where you've put it. And people are doing this. You can now buy them through catalogs of National Geographic and stuff. They're very affordable, these cameras, and this is a new thing. But when people set up these cameras, and this happened uh, a year ago in Kentucky, where this guy put a camera like that in his backyard, and he thought, oh, I'll get some cute pictures of raccoons and things like that. And then when he looked at the pictures on his camera, there was this gorilla sitting in this, you know, garden in this remote rural area of Kentucky. He then showed it to wildlife experts, and he said, can you explain this? You know, what animal is this? And they, of course, they couldn't explain it. And they said, well, it uh, looks like there's a gorilla, you know, in your backyard. And, and, but, we, but, of course, there are no gorillas in, around here, so we can't explain this. And this, this also got a lot of attention. That photo is in my book, and it was called The Backyard Bigfoot. But so this is all kind of new. It's, and what's new about it is that people have cameras all the time. And we're, what's happening is we're getting many, many more uh, pictures of Bigfoot now. There's also video cameras. There's interesting uh, footage that came out of Poland also about a year ago. And they, they filmed this uh, Bigfoot that, in this remote mountain area, and it, the Footage is on the internet. It's interesting to watch. It's daylight footage. And as you watch it, 
I mean, either it's a man in a Bigfoot costume running around in this remote mountain area of Poland, or it's some kind of hairy ape man. Of course, if you see something from a distance, how do you know it's not just trying to create some kind of Hollywood-style effect with a guy in a suit? Well, right. And, I mean, this is what happens with a lot of the Bigfoot photos and, and video footage that's coming out now. The same with some of the relics, like the Yeti skull, scalp and other stuff like that that's in monasteries in Nepal and whatnot. And that's that. I mean, either it's a real Bigfoot Sasquatch or Yeti in these photos, or the scalp or the hand, or they're real, or, I mean, someone is faking it. And you've, in my mind, there are some fakes. There's, uh, there's no doubt about that. But it, as I've researched it, yeah, the overwhelming evidence to me is that it's real and that people are not faking it. And it, except in a few cases, it's really not worthwhile for people to fake this stuff and photos because it really, all it does is bring them ridicule and their friends start to question their judgment and uh, think that, you know, they're stupid or are dumb. Yeah, you, you really think you saw Bigfoot? Well, you know, you're an idiot. But a lot of people will stand their ground and say, well, maybe I'm an idiot, but I know what I saw. What most people explain of Yetis, and in fact, the famous mountaineer, uh, Reinhold Meisner from Austria, he's one of the greatest mountaineers in the world. He wrote a book called My Quest for the Yeti. And because he's really probably the world's most famous mountaineer, this book was published by major publishers, different languages. I've got copies of it. It's an interesting read. But in that book, he largely concludes that the Yeti of the Himalayas and Tibet and whatnot is actually a bear. I'll tell you what, we'll get into more of this in our next section. We have David Hatcher Childress. He's author of Yeti's Sasquatch and Harry Giants. Our co-host this week, Nicholas Redfern, Chris O'Brien, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in... The Paracast! <laughs> Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, Attack. of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. If you're in a service business, that's money ringing in your ears. If your phone's not ringing, chances are it's a problem with your marketing. 
Landscapers, painters, roofers, carpet cleaners, pet sitters, handymen. Anyone with a residential service business can build a huge and loyal customer base fast with the Magic Yellow Flyer. No more expensive newspaper, yellow pages, or internet pay-per-click ads. The Magic Yellow Flyer will have new customers calling you within one week. The Magic Yellow Flyer marketing system is the most effective and inexpensive way to build a referral-only service business in a short period of time. And the Magic Yellow Flyer comes with an outrageous one-year guarantee. You will get new customers or your money back. For details, go to magicyellowflyer.com. No matter what business you're in, the Magic Yellow Flyer marketing system will work for you. Visit magicyellowflyer.com. Put the Magic Yellow Flyer to work for you today. Visit magicyellowflyer.com. Can you live with minor aches and pains? Maybe, but oftentimes those won't go away pains become so debilitating that we are not able to do things we used to, like go for a walk, garden, or even button a shirt. Now, restore normal function naturally and give yourself the freedom to move with Recovery Extra Strength. Over-the-counter drugs will stop the pain, but at the expense of your liver. Recovery Extra Strength is the number one solution for pain and inflammation. It contains Nutricol, a unique proprietary blend of green tea and grapes, and is made in Canada under strict Health Canada oversight of natural products. If you suffer from arthritis, bursitis, tendonitis, back, or other aches and pains, use Recovery Extra Strength. Call 866-543-3388 or go to RemarkableRecovery.com. Get free shipping on orders of $50 or more when you use checkout code GCN Radio. Call 1-866-543-3388 or go to RemarkableRecovery.com for recovery extra strength for pain-free mobility. What is a wind generator? How can the wind produce power for a small cabin? How can wind energy be stored and used during an emergency? Can I assemble my own wind generator? For answers to questions about wind power, visit windbluepower.com. Did you know the wind could provide your family with emergency power? It can with a wind generator from windbluepower.com. Learn how our amazing LightBreeze wind generator kits start charging a 12-volt battery and just 6 mile per hour wind. Or see the new Cyclone X2 dual kit featuring two wind generators on just one tower. And learn why schools and universities across the country utilize our products to teach about wind power and alternative energy at windbluepower.com. All kits qualify for a 30% IRS tax credit for residential energy efficient property. Enter coupon code RADIO for a 5% discount at windbluepower.com. That's windbluepower.com or call 800-976-0026. That's 800-976-0026. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. David Hatcher Childress, author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants. Our co-hosts, Chris O'Brien, Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. I'd love to hear, I'd love to ask Nick a question or two myself. And, uh, you know, Nick, um, I've always loved your books and your three men, Search of Monsters and all that. You're a man after my own heart, sort of uh, traveling there in search of monsters and having a good time while you do it with your friends. In your encounters, you know, and I guess you ranged across America. I mean, did you have you had any close encounters with Harry Aidman? Well, I've had a few weird experiences. I mean, one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot within Bigfoot research circles, but I think it's a valid area of research, 
is a phenomenon that become known as Bigfoot teepees, which sounds kind of strange, but in areas where we get a lot of Bigfoot reports, we get a lot of sightings and discoveries of these curious structures where very large, in some cases, branches have been literally wrenched off trees and placed into pyramid-type formations. And this can be, you know, 20, 30 miles deep into the woods. And they, they look very, very curious. And as I said, there's no attempt to saw the wood. It looks like something very, very strong and large. You just wrench these branches off, place them into these formations. And wherever you get Bigfoot reports, typically at some point, you get these curious structures. And of course, some people, you know, speculate as to what they are. There are theories that they're sort of like a territorial marker or boundary that these creatures put up, I guess, to warn or attract others of their kind. Um, and I've actually stumbled quite literally across a number of these in areas of high Bigfoot activity over the years. And I think for me, that's, you know, it's kind of like an eerie feeling when you, you come across these formations and you feel like you've almost gone from the hunter to the hunted and you get this, I guess, sort of very weird sensation of being watched. Now, whether that's valid or not, or we just assume we're being watched is a big, a big question. But, you know, I've had a number of experiences like that, and it, and it sort of makes me realize that this is a real, even though it's a strange phenomenon, it's a very elusive one, it's a very real one as well. And I think when you actually stumble across these things yourself, then you begin to realize that it's, you know, something's going on and it's, and it's in our midst, and in some respects almost toying with us as well. You know, I think that's uh, a really good point. And from my limited experience and, and talking to people, yeah, there's a point where the hunter becomes the hunted in these kind of things. And if you get too close to, uh, say, a Bigfoot uh, nest or lair or wherever they are, uh, or even just following them somehow along in a, in a forest, they, they will warn you. And they do things like oh boy, do they? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I they'll rip a, they'll just rip a giant tree up or break. You know, I mean, some superhuman kind of strength too. And these these things are incredibly strong. And yeah, you suddenly see in front of you a, a tree just be snapped in half or something, and then and there's a big crack, you know, and a tree falls down towards you or something. And it's it's frightening, and yeah, it's something's going on, and it's, you're in thick bush and forest, but you realize that something very big, it's watching you, uh, it knows where you are, and it doesn't want you there. And yeah, you you are frightened, and you leave if you're smart. Yeah, I mean, I, Chris, stuff like this happened to you, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> It's an interesting uh, story. I'll try to make it brief, but a friend of mine and I wanted to uh, climb around on the, you know, up uh, Mount Shasta in the early spring. We went up a logging road, had to dig through some, uh, some you know, drifts that had drifted over the top part of the, the road up near the base of the mountain. We were obviously the first people up there to, you know, that spring. This would, would have been uh, May 1979. And we encountered this real impenetrable hedge. I think it was either mountain huckleberry or some sort of madrona, super tough, uh, resilient uh, alpine vegetation that was in an impenetrable hedge. And, and of course, uh, in many stories, one of the first things that, uh, that people notice is a, is a very foul smell. This smelled like a human skunk is the only way I could uh, describe it. It was <laughs> really noxious. And uh, we heard this roar. 
very hard to describe it. Kind of a cross between a lion's roar, an elephant trumpeting, and a angry locomotive or something. It was just ear-splittingly loud. And we heard something coming through this eight, seven, eight-foot-high hedge, and it was crashing through this impenetrable hedge at us. And, <laughs> boy, I tell you, that's probably the most frightening experience I've ever had in my life. I, I don't – we ran down that hill so fast I don't even remember how we did it. Um, but uh, this is, uh, you know, based on my uh, limited research in this area, this is a fairly common occurrence. We had two years ago in the San Luis Valley, we had two hunters that were going up Costilla Canyon just below the uh, border with New Mexico uh, in Colorado. And and they were chased away by a Bigfoot that was banging a big stick on the ground and throwing, uh, you know, uh, tree parts at them and chased them uh, away from this particular area they were going up to go hunting in. And uh, one of the things that um, one of our uh, forum listeners, you know, uh, radio listeners and forum uh, participants asked about is the paranormal uh, aspect of Bigfoot. Um, there's a very interesting story um, in Andrew Colvin's book, uh, Mothman's Photographer 2, where he quotes John Keel, uh, who had a witness that saw a Bigfoot pulling a second Bigfoot out, literally out of the ground without disturbing the soil, almost like they were not fully manifest or something. Um, there's other accounts of Bigfoot seemingly disappearing uh, in front of witnesses. Um, there's other um, suggestions in some stories that they're able to somehow teleport. Um, there's also a psychic uh, component. Some people um, have encountered these creatures and felt some sort of psychic uh, link with the creature. Do you care to comment on that? Uh, if we're dealing, I know you think that this is a real cryptozoological creature, but there is a, a body of, of anecdotal evidence that suggests that maybe something also paranormal in that these creatures may have some sort of um, abilities to blink in and blink out. Well, that is a, a fascinating area of, of research when it comes to Bigfoot is, is, like you're saying, this paranormal aspect or the interdimensional critters. There's a few stories that link uh, UFOs with Bigfoot, um, and I, those are, I think, particularly interesting. I've, I've, I've not really found that those stories are so widespread. They, they seem to only be a few. It's something I've asked people too, particularly people who've had a number of close encounters with a Bigfoot, uh, including farmers, um, especially in Illinois and other areas of the Midwest where people, there's, there's certain areas like around Seneca, Illinois, where it's just known that these Bigfoot live and, and they've, and people encounter them all the time. It's, there's a lover's lane area there where Bigfoot would, peer into the backseat of cars and things like that. It actually became a very famous story in the Chicago Tribune uh, back in 2003. But when I've asked people, too, about, like, are they some kind of interdimensional creature? Do they have these paranormal powers? The people I've talked to have overwhelmingly told me that they're animals. They are like a gorilla, like an ape. They act like them. They... They throw rocks. They they have to eat food. They're interested in humans, and um, they they have such a keen sense of smell that they can they can smell sex. They can smell women who are menstruating or 
uh, and it just the flow of hormones and things like that. And that's one of the famous stories that happened at DuPont because of this lover's lane is that, yeah, Bigfoot would be attracted to these cars where people were making out or having sex and wanted to see what was going on. And he could smell it. So I don't know. My own belief, and largely the way I come at it in my book, is that it is a, it's a cryptozoological thing, uh, that there's these things are like, just like gorillas and orangutans and other apes, these things are... Uh, they're, they're animals. We can get DNA. We could clone them. This was, I think, one of the interesting things of, of the so-called possible cover-up of some of these animals is that uh, U.S. government, in theory, if they've got some dead Sasquatch or something, that they could be doing all kinds of stuff. They could clone them. They could... They could have their own uh, captive Sasquatch that they've they've created themselves, and in, along those lines, you could get, perhaps maybe this is where the paranormal aspect comes in, where you have some kind of genetically engineered uh, Sasquatch or something, and they, but they've been trained actually by. The military. I mean, it all sounds so fantastic. And I'll tell you what, we have to go to the next section to pursue this. David Hatcher Childress joining us. We're talking about Yeti's Sasquatch and Harry Giants. And it sounds like government intervention, too. Our, our co-host this week, Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in. The Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have another hour to spend with David Hatcher Childress, author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants. Our co-hosts are Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. And I guess the question was raised here. The government, knowing about this, involved in genetic engineering of Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah, it sounds incredible. And as I... Well, I, mean, I, had to, I had to speculate did, about that in my book. David, didn't, yeah. didn't Hitler try to, uh, uh, wasn't there some sort of genetics program where they were going to try to create this uh, primitive uh, super, uh, super warrior, super soldier or something? I seem to remember reading about that uh, some years back. Uh, so you think the U.S. government, if potentially they do have 
genetic material that they could possibly be attempting to clone uh, these animals or somehow You create. know, I seem to recall, and maybe maybe you guys know this story too, but isn't there, um, seems like there's some UFO abduction type story where one of the people claimed that he was in some like UFO base or something, that there was a like a Bigfoot in a cage or something like that? No, um, that, I think you're referring to the Clearview case uh, outside of uh, the Air Force Academy back in the late 70s where um, Air Force officers arrived in a saucer and and um, and talked to this particular uh, rancher and his family. And uh, there was a Bigfoot standing nearby holding a box that had blinking lights on it. And, okay, uh, right. This creature had been seen by the rancher on a couple of occasions prior to this, and the Air Force claimed that he was under their control. And one of the officers had some device on a belt, and he hit a button or a switch, and the Bigfoot kind of twitched and fell down <laughs> and dropped the box. And then he clicked it back on, and the Bigfoot woke up or something and stood back up uh, holding the blinking box. So I <laughs> go figure. That's one of the weirdest okay, you, uh, cases. Right. I've I, that, that's a pretty interesting story. And, and so there you have maybe some Bigfoot that's uh, got implanted by the military and yeah, they can uh, kind of mind control him with the, some electronic gear that they've got, you know, in the back of his brain or something. I, I mean, stories like that seem like some, uh, Grade B sci-fi movie from the fifties yeah. or something, but but yet I why would why would they say something like that though? Why would they? Uh, well, right. I mean, it, it, exactly, and, and for people to just somehow make up some utterly bizarre story like that that also apparently makes no sense, that's kind of far-fetched too. That people are just going to fabricate that. I I often think that there's something to these stories. Not necessarily exactly what the people witnessed, maybe, but something's going on. Um, even even with stories like that, you can have holographic projections. Uh, I believe that the military does do all kinds of unusual uh, psyops and and mind control type of operations for their own, uh, you know, strange experiments on people just to see how they'll react and things like that. But I really do not discount the idea that they, uh, and I, I'm saying the military or, I mean, whoever it is exactly, that they could have, you know, the bodies of Bigfoot, uh, actual live Bigfoot, cloned or genetically engineered Bigfoot. Um, if these animals really exist, and I, I believe they do, and they are animals, there's no reason why the military couldn't have, you know, be doing research on them themselves. Uh, I mean, they want to know this stuff, too. And uh, it's my opinion that many of the things that you guys talk about on the Paracast are within the military and other um, covert agencies, you know, that, that even this stuff is well known to them. But they largely keep it a secret. Okay, so if the U.S. government is doing this, what about other governments? Are they engaged in this kind of uh, trickery? Well, yeah. I mean, they would be, in a sense, uh, particularly, say, the Russians. Uh, the Chinese government is well known to be interested in the uh, wild men of, of China. Um, the Russians, in fact, uh, many of the Russian investigators, I mean, they're, they're actually part of the government who are doing this, and they're Russian scientists. So the, the Russians particularly have always had an open mind in, when it comes to 
uh, paranormal type things, Bigfoot, UFOs, even psychic phenomenon. Um, and even though this, say, the CIA has done psychic experiments and other things like that, there, when stories get out into the mainstream media, there's, they sort of laugh at it and it makes the CIA look like a bunch of goofballs doing these sort of strange experiments. But in Russia, it's taken much more seriously and is actually part of the government programs. The whole strange story of the Minnesota Iceman, uh, which I detail in, in one of the chapters, is really weird. And the more you look into it, the stranger it gets. And at one point, apparently, the Vietnamese government was involved in it and the military. And the, the story that has come out about the Minnesota Iceman is that it was from Vietnam, and it was loaded onto a helicopter. It was brought back by the military to the United States. Uh, it was in California. It, it ended up in private hands. It was encased in ice. It was then sent up to Minnesota, where for basically about a year, it was shown at uh, these various uh, county fairs and things in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and then suddenly vanished. But Ivan T. Sanderson and Bernard Hovelmans, you know, had a chance to really look carefully at the Minnesota Iceman at this barn in, uh, in Minnesota before it, it vanished. And they concluded that it was a real critter in there and not oh. a fake. Okay, vanished, David. In what way? They just stopped showing it or what? Yeah, what happened to the Minnesota Iceman was it, it was being exhibited for a while. Uh, Ivan T. Sanderson and Hovelmans got to see it and study it. And then the FBI got involved because it had been shot uh, through the eye. And, uh, I mean, it, you know, and in fact, apparently, it had been shot by an American uh, soldier or something during the in Vietnam War. And uh, But then it vanished. And what happened then was a fake was put in its place. And then briefly, uh, this other Iceman was exhibited. People who looked at it could see that it, it was a fake. It was uh, like a wax dummy inside the ice. But the original Iceman totally disappeared. And it apparently had been owned by a very wealthy uh, person in Los Angeles. Uh, but, you know, exactly who he was and how we got the Iceman and where it went, we don't know. And it's possible that the government itself ended up with the Iceman. And if it really was a real body, as Sanderson and Hovelmans believed, then it would be valuable. And certainly the government would want it and perhaps got it, or else it ended up in some like private lab where they're studying it. And, and part of it, what is so important and, and rarely talked about in other Bigfoot books, is that having DNA of a Sasquatch is important. I mean, you could do a lot with that, particularly with the technology of cloning and stuff that we have today. It'd be something to be able to try to nail down. So how do we nail it down, David? I mean, we have the story of this disappeared and was replaced by a fake before the exhibit was withdrawn. We have all these reports about the government involvement. How do we nail it down and prove any of this stuff? <laughs> well, Make a good you know, FOIA request. <laughs> I think people naturally want proof and good proof, and I'm, I'm like that too. Fo photo photographs of Bigfoot are good, and uh, that's 
kind of the main thing we have now, and, and stories, getting, getting actual hair and blood samples of some of these critters, whether it's in Bhutan or Sumatra or California or whatever. I mean, that's what we need. When you look at Roger Patterson's famous Bluff Creek uh, movie footage, and that is perhaps, you know, the best-known evidence, really, of, of Bigfoot that we have. And that's a, that's a female, too, who's walking there. And that's been studied over and over again. There's, there's whole books just about that movie footage. And I'll tell you, we'll get into that in more detail in a moment. We have David Hatcher Childress, author of Yeti's Sasquatch and Harry Giants, the co-host of Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. The Paracast. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code PowerCast. Once again, use the coupon code PowerCast and sign up at this special address, thepowercast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, thepowercast.com slash gator. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30%, while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us, and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Men, when you want the spark back in your love life, when you want to bring back intimacy, when you want to please the special woman in your life, use Mojo Ryzen. Mojo Ryzen is a safe, revolutionary herbal sexual formula for men that combines ancient Chinese school of thought and modern science to significantly support stamina, performance, and pleasure. Mojo Ryzen is a proven 100% natural product that works the first time, every time. Mojo Ryzen works even after consuming alcohol. Mojo Ryzen will not give you unwanted side effects. Mojo Ryzen will allow you to give your partner what they deserve. Try just three capsules of Mojo Ryzen and if not completely satisfied, send back the remainder for a full refund. Buy Mojo Ryzen at mojo-radio.com. That's mojo-radio.com. Or call toll-free 1-877-330-1120. That's 877-330-1120. Go big, go strong with Mojo Ryzen all night long. 
Where have all the military surplus stores gone? Don't worry, you don't need one. Because everything you need at Military Surplus is at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, one of the last surviving true military surplus stores in the country. Go online now to MainMilitary.com and discover a source for hard-to-find surplus items at true surplus prices. Surplus gun cleaning kits as low as $2.99. Complete chemical suits as low as $11.99. See our huge selection of gas masks, filters, and accessories. Finish and M10 gas masks are three for $30. And Swiss filters are three for $12. Searching for Strike Anywhere matches? MainMilitary.com has them. Plus a whole new product line of survival and first aid kits and lots more. Get free shipping on orders over $50 only at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com. Or call 877-608-0179. 877-608-0179. MainMilitary.com. The main name in military supply. Tired of searching for great talk radio? And I think it really does make a difference. We are the GCN Radio Network. Genesis, Genesis. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. We return with David Hatcher Childress. We're talking about the abominable snowman, Yeti, Sasquatch, hairy giants, whatever. We have Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern as co-hosts. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Paracast. So maybe now, because we are getting towards the last three segments of the show, Chris, you've accumulated some questions from the Paracast forums. You asked one of them, and maybe we could pepper David with more questions from the forums. Go ahead, please. Well, actually, David's actually done a good job uh, answering several of the questions. Uh, the only one I haven't really asked and, and impressed David on was the whole telepathic connection that some witnesses have described uh, when they lock eyes with these creatures. Um, I think, what's his name, uh, Kawani, Jack Separdis, he wrote a book, The Psychic uh, Sasquatch. I'm probably butchering his name. But um, I seem to remember, uh, reading the book uh, years ago, I seem to remember from it that there, in his mind, that there is a fairly intriguing body of evidence that would suggest that these creatures do have some sort of psychic abilities and that some people have been impacted by this. Uh, have, have you run across this particular element in your research? Yeah, sure. And in fact, there's a there's a woman in Wisconsin who's written a, a book or two about Bigfoot. And I think one of them's called Backyard Bigfoot or something like that. And she claims to have had something of a psychic relationship with this Bigfoot who, in the winter, would come by her remote house in the in the woods of Wisconsin and leave footprints, and that she had you know, something of a psychic relationship with them. And I, that's all fine. I I feel that people have psychic relationships with all kinds of animals, and, and that's always fascinating. There's no reason why people couldn't have some psychic connection with Bigfoot, too. Bigfoot, in, in my mind, is... He's curious about humans, and he's not really a threat. Even though there are stories of Bigfoot... Uh, attacking people, um, even people being killed by Bigfoot. In the Himalayas, I can tell you that the whole concept of yetis, 
seeing a Yeti, having some encounter. It's a subject that's very uncomfortable to the people there. They don't want to see a Yeti. They feel it's terrible luck. Uh, even to talk about Yetis is bad luck. People, uh, people are reluctant to really discuss it uh, in great detail. It's, it's a subject that you should avoid, really. And if you've seen a Yeti and encountered one, they, they believe it means you're going to die. So you, you, it's not something you want to have happen to you. You know, that said, people do still encounter Yetis as we get more and more sort of people are modernized and they forget these, say, superstitions in a sense about Yetis and they, they, they will talk about it more, I think. But really, ultimately, I mean, what I've concluded is that these, I mean, they're animals. They're, they're, they have, they're super strong. They've got incredibly keen, uh, senses. They know to avoid people if they can, but still, they're curious about people. And a lot of the stories that are in my book are of Yeti and Bigfoot peeping toms. I mean, they, this is what happened here in Arizona and, uh, where, you know, where I'm speaking right now. On the White Mountain Apache Reservation in 2005, this family there, they were Apache Indians, they called the police because this peeping Tom was looking in their window and, and watching them in their bedroom and stuff. And then when the Apache uh, police arrived at these people cabin, and they and people do live in remote areas of the, of the forest there, and it's a giant forest, what the police, and it was a woman who saw it, when she arrived, there was this Bigfoot. That was there at, the, at these people's cabin, and this Bigfoot was skulking around. He was this peeping Tom looking in their window, and the policewoman saw him right there in the headlights. And she filed a report. This got on, in the news here in Arizona. It became even national news. And the witnesses in this case were this Apache family, but also this policewoman. But also like in the DuPont monster case in Illinois, what brought the Bigfoot into the vicinity where where and close sort people having these close encounters was ultimately sex and Bigfoot, you know, people were having sex in their cars or in the white mountain thing in their bedroom. And Bigfoot wanted to see, you know, what he was missing or what was going on. So and not only his hair is kinky then, huh? <laughs> I couldn't resist. So I don't sorry. know. Well, I mean, I, I, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, Nick. I mean, so many of the British with 40 and times and things like that, and uh, the the mystery black cat of England and stuff like that. I mean, do you think that Bigfoot has got the ability to sort of appear and disappear at will? You know, I mean, I've done a lot of research into Bigfoot reports in Britain, and what it, it often surprises people to learn that there's actually a tremendous number of reports. Now, if you go back to the 13, 1400s, they're very much described as like wild men of the woods type stories in the sense that they look, I won't say they look like human beings, but they look more like a hair-covered human than they do a giant ape. Now, if you sort of go forward to the present day, we actually do get a lot of reports that would fit into like a classic Bigfoot category from Britain. Now, bear in mind Britain, the whole country of England, Scotland and Wales is actually, the combined square mileage is smaller than the state of Texas, and yet the population is full 20% of the entire American population. So in other words, for a small country, Britain's heavily populated. And one of the problems with Bigfoot in Britain is you could argue that it's seen too frequently. 
And for creatures that are described as being sort of seven foot tall in the British Isles, we would have to see colonies of these creatures, but we only ever see them solitary. And we don't see evidence of what would have to be massive feeding activity to sustain a seven foot tall, three, four hundred pound creature on a daily basis. And that's one of the problems in Britain. And we also get a lot of reports of Bigfoot just vanishing from sight in Britain or haunting places like old bridges, crossroads, which is something you typically see in countless paranormal type stories. So, you know, whereas I think there's a good argument for saying things like the Yeti and the Orange Pendek of Sumatra are flesh and blood animals, I'm less inclined to think that's the case in Britain. I think Bigfoot in Britain is not just weird. Bigfoot in Britain is, is like too weird. Well, I agree with you there that, uh, yeah, Bigfoot in, in Britain seems to be quite an anomaly. And I've heard, you know, there are some stories of Bigfoot. It, it, there is there's kind of one area. Where is that where people sort of see it? But I, I, in my mind, there's not really, you know, some large amount of stories of Bigfoot in the UK. That, that, that would be surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote a book on this called Man Monkey, which was a study of a, a famous case in central England, which the reports kicked off in the late 1800s and continue to this day at this one particular bridge on which overlook which runs over a canal a large bridge that runs over a canal in england there have been countless sightings there of this weird creature with glowing silvery eyes and and it has more of like a paranormal phantom aspect to it than it does anything flesh and blood i'll tell you what we'll get into more of that nick in our next section we have david hatcher childress his book is called yeti sasquatch and hairy giants the co-hosts are chris o'brien and nicholas redfern I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies paranormal activity, and Fortean phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at webtv.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. When you hear the words water purification, what comes to mind? If it's Berkey Water Purification Systems, this message is for you. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water contains fluoride? Add less than 2 cents per gallon. Berkey water filters purify treated and untreated water, remove dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and contaminants from municipal water. These filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, making them perfect for rainwater collection systems. From the smallest to the largest systems, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has what you need. With your system purchase, you'll receive a shower filter, a fluoride filter, or two sport Berkey bottles absolutely free. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com would like to offer GCN listeners 5% off all ceramic filter systems and ship all orders over $50 free of charge. 
Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY today. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. There are many types of storable foods, but how about a superfood that contains every nutrient that the human body needs for survival? 50% protein, 300 milligrams of potassium per ounce, and calcium and magnesium for your heart and bones, with many more nutrients found in this incredible food source that the government does not want you to have. This product is available in powder, seeds, and oil, and is shipped free to your door in the U.S. This product is illegal to grow in the U.S., but is legal to import. Don't waste time thinking about storing food. Plan ahead and prepare for yourself and your family now, and be in control of your destiny. You can save and invest your money, but in the end, food will be your greatest asset. Remember what the Word of God says in Ezekiel 7.19. Call 908-691-2608 and see what the powder, seeds, and oil can do for you. Remember, food will be your greatest asset. Call 908-691-2608. This product does not contain THC. Call 908-691-2608 today. Bringing you the best in alternative talk radio for over 10 years. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. This is the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not comment on the rather lame effort of our co-hosts in the previous section to vocalize the Paracast, because if I were to do it, it would be worse. And we're not going to ask David. By the way, David, that's a new thing with guests now. You have to vocalize on the air. Yeah, you got to sing, David. Let me try it. Paracast! There you go. All right, we'll record that and sell it and keep the profits. David Hatcher Childress is author of Yeti's Sasquatch and Harry Giants. The co-hosts are Chris O'Brien and Nicholas Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberger in the PowerCast. Since we got into that touchy subject of paranormal Bigfoot, so that takes us back to this other kind of creature, the Mothman. Is the Mothman some kind of winged Bigfoot, David? You know, that's interesting. And one of the old issues of our uh, magazine, which is called World Explorer, one of the articles was about bat squatch, which was out of, uh, also out of Washington State, uh, a kind of Mothman type story of a winged Bigfoot kind of guy who uh, 
had, say, the Mothman characteristics as well as that of uh, Bigfoot. And he had pointed ears, too. Yeah, pointed ears and things. Bat Squatch is, is what the newspapers, you know, called him. Well, you know, if he has pointed ears, he's actually Spock Squatch. <laughs> yeah. Spock Watch, yeah, that's right. The whole concept of flying humanoids and winged people, Mothman, people, you know, humanoids flying, uh, giant bats for that matter. I mean, that, that was a fascinating subject and uh, one that is, deserves its own book. With stuff like that, that is pretty paranormal, I would say. And so once you do cross the line from, you know, gorillas and orangutans and, and hairy ape men in Sumatra or the Himalayas or uh, even the United States, yeah, when you get these flying critters, Mothman type of stuff. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really looking, I think, at something that is totally paranormal. And it's interesting to think with Mothman, too, um, he's often said to be this harbinger of, of death, like a Yeti. And what I was just talking about earlier, how in the Himalayas, it's very, very bad luck to see a Yeti, and it means you're going to die. And that's kind of the same thing with Mothman, too, that, yeah, you see Mothman and something bad's going to happen to you kind of thing. So, and a lot of people think that uh, with other things, black cats, you know, crossing your path, maybe something strange peering in your window at night, and, yeah, it all, it's a bad omen, shall we say. Nick, what is your point of view about all this? You were briefly telling us about that particular case with the creature with the glowing eyes in the UK. My personal opinion, having sort of investigated all these weird creatures over the years, I think two things are going on. One, I think some of them are definitely flesh and blood animals that science hasn't recognized or categorized yet. But I think others are paranormal. But of course, that depends how we define what the paranormal might be. You know, is it something truly supernatural or is it an aspect of science that we don't necessarily fully understand yet and that we call we call it paranormal because that's the only way we can describe it. But I think what does happen sometimes is that there's a tendency when we're investigating strange creatures that for many researchers, it's an either or thing. You know, you're either classed as the researcher who believes these are paranormal or you're the nuts and bolts flesh and blood guy. And I think that's a mistake, I mean, sort of a fatal mistake. In reality, I think, as I said, there's several things going on. And just because Bigfoot's, you know, or the Yeti in the Himalayas appears to be a very definite flesh and blood animal, and I would say that again for the Oren um, Pendic in Sumatra, the fact that we also get paranormal qualities to some cases I don't think destroys the scenario or the other scenario. What I actually suspect it does is suggest to us that there's several things going on. And, and as researchers, we should treat them as separate things, not try and force feed them, if you like, into one category and leave out the bits of the stories that we don't like or whatever, which some researchers unfortunately do. Isn't that, of course, part of the problem in trying to nail this down, which is, of course, one of the difficult things, and certainly people who are skeptical about the possibility of a Bigfoot or this hairy creature, whether it's paranormal or physical or there's a combination of both, is performing the kinds of investigations we need to take it out of anecdotal evidence and bring it into mainstream science. So whoever wants to pick up this, okay, how do we get mainstream science to take any of this seriously? I don't know. Someone's got to get a 30-06 and bring one down, I think, uh, and have the whole post-mortem process documented. Uh, one thing I would suggest to people who are thinking about going out and renting a uh, gorilla costume and running around the woods where they know there's trail cams, 
I would be very careful. I'll bet you there's some uh, good old boys out there that would just love to to bring one down just to <laughs> kind of get their uh, 15 minutes of fame um, and probably a lot of money for this. Um, I think David brought up a really good point about trail cams and the proliferation proliferation of um, cell cams. Obviously, uh, the the handy cam uh, recorders have come down in price. I think we're going to see uh, more and more visual evidence um, of these things uh, and, and hopefully real good quality evidence um, that would uh, give enough uh, uh, data, I think, for an, opti- you know, an optical examination by science to determine, obviously, if it's, if it's a hoax or real. And uh, if it is real, start the process of determining uh, what we're dealing with here uh, scientifically. I know a lot of people on the forum absolutely don't buy into the whole concept of uh, crypto creatures. Um, such as Bigfoot running around. I think David brought up a really good point about the uh, proliferation, or whatever that word is. <laughs> everybody's got a cell cam. Yeah, everybody's got a cell cam uh, now. There's The handicams have come way down in price. I think we're going to see uh, more and more visual evidence. This obviously would be a place for science to get involved, to analyze some of these videos, uh, determine if they're real, and if they are real, what we're dealing with. Obviously, uh, you know, bringing one down, uh, finding uh, the remains of one, having physical evidence would be the, the, the holy grail in this uh, scenario. But um, I think that's where it's got to start. It's almost like you have to prove uh, that something is, you have to disprove a negative in order to get science involved, just like in UFOs, just like in hauntings and other subjects that science tends to hold its nose around. But that, that would be... I think, the most logical um, place where this whole thing is going scientifically. Well, I agree with you there that, uh, yeah, what, what I predict is going to happen is there's going to be more and more and more photos of Bigfoot, video footage of Bigfoot. YouTube is going to have more and more quickie videos of, of Bigfoot. Some of these are, videos are fascinating. Some are just jokes or hoaxes. But we're going to see more and more of that, and it's because cameras are ubiquitous. And the same thing's kind of happening with UFOs, too. Uh, more and more people are carrying cameras and, and video footage, and therefore we'll get more good footage, daylight footage and stuff, of, of UFOs. The idea that we're going to actually get a live Bigfoot on TV or something like that and, and that some press conference is going to occur like last year, which was a total hoax, but where someone says, yeah, here, here's the dead Bigfoot, you know, we've got it. Hopefully something like that will happen one day. It's kind of sad, and, and, and this is a controversial part of the whole Bigfoot stories, is, is, it, is yeah, is it okay to go out and shoot a Bigfoot? Uh, I mean, is that murder? Uh, and that's just, there's already people who are campaigning against that. I mean, uh, Bigfoot needs to be saved. Uh, we shouldn't have people running around with guns looking for Bigfoot. And even, uh, that would be a strange uh, sort of thing that might happen in the future, where suddenly Bigfoot is a protected animal. And the government has to declare him, you know, uh, as, uh, as protected. No one is allowed to shoot Bigfoot. Something like that. Uh, that right there would be tantamount to the government uh, admitting that, yeah, these creatures are out there. And I think that's a big step for them. And, and it's what I've kind of gathered talking to people and uh, uh, the encounters that they claim they've had with rangers and stuff, where rangers have basically acknowledged to them that, yes, we know these animals are out there. 
yes, you know, we want to leave them be. Please don't go, you know, hunting Bigfoot uh, during hunting season or something like that. And it's, I, I think it is hunters who do encounter Bigfoot. And a number of stories are people have weapons with them, and they actually could shoot and kill a Bigfoot. But when the time comes, they can't do it. I'll tell you what, whether it's be nice to Bigfoot or whatever, we'll get to that in the next section. David Hatcher, Childress, author of Yeti, Sasquatch, and Hairy Giants. The co-hosts, Nick Redfern and Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberger in... The Paracast! Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store store.theparacast.com. If you're a regular listener of this station, then disaster survival is vitally important to you and your family. Long-term food storage, water filtration, emergency food preparation, and quality survival products are not just talk topics, but a way of life. We strongly believe in being prepared for any emergency. We are foodandwaterstore.com, owned and operated by people who are into emergency preparedness. And because we are preppers like you, we own and use the products we offer. You'll find quality name-brand proven products like Global Sun Ovens, Wonder Mill Flour Mills, Mountain House, Foods, Seychelle and Berkey water filters, and many more, plus videos and articles at foodandwaterstore.com. 90% of our customers are return customers because of our low prices and excellent customer service. We still believe the customer is always right. Discover what your family needs to weather any storm at foodandwaterstore.com or call 1-877-773-7123. Foodandwaterstore.com, helping you prepare for the storms of life. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over five years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $209, and the Berkey guy will include three sport Berkey water bottles and ship everything to you free of charge. That's right, three sport Berkey water bottles and free shipping. An $87 value, yours free. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. 
global meltdowns, massive unemployment, endless wars, a new currency crisis, financially and morally bankrupt. A great and terrible storm is approaching. So what's the best way to get ready to get prepared for hard times ahead? In producing Off the Grid News, a weekly newsletter for independent patriots who want practical advice on how to survive and prosper in an increasingly dangerous world. It's the best way to get a black belt in emergency preparedness, survival skills, and off-the-grid living. Off the Grid News is fiercely independent, all about self-reliance and packed with helpful information on survival gardening, food preparation, alternative energy, herbal medicines, privacy and security, as well as God, gold, and guns with absolutely no apologies. And the best part? This $100 a year service is now free of charge for our listeners. That's right, free for our listeners who sign up at offthegridnews.com. That's offthegridnews.com. You can sign up free at offthegridnews.com. Off the Grid news.com tired of searching for great talk radio search no more it's good stuff we are the gcn radio network you've entered another dimension you've entered the paracast Hey there, if you want to join the Paracast team as a sales or marketing specialist, send your resume to sales at theparacast.com. That's sales at theparacast.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I think in a future segment of the Paracast, we will have one episode where everybody says the Paracast and you will vote for the winner. The worst the but best. this is not the episode. We have David Hatcher Childress for one more session. Yeti, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants is the book co-host to Chris O'Brien, Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Okay, so do we regard, therefore, David, as these creatures as being endangered species? Is that a reason why maybe forest rangers, etc., would say, you know, don't go there because they want to protect this? What's the story? Right. I mean, I've kind of come to the conclusion that within the ranger community, there is a, something of an unwritten code of of not hunting Bigfoot, not disturbing him, leaving him alone, giving him his territory, letting him, you know, do his thing. And the idea that that Bigfoot hunters are out there with guns trying to kill Bigfoot, they don't like that idea. It it really does come down to this crux of the matter. Is Bigfoot some type of humanoid? Is is he really more human than animal, or you know, is it is shooting a Bigfoot, you know, the same as shooting a, a chimpanzee or some other ape? And part of the problem here is that Bigfoot is very human. Uh, he's he is like a missing link, really. The, and it, and it's interesting too that except for the Gigantropus. Uh, fossils that have been found in China, which, and they, they know that this giant ape did live once, and perhaps he is the Yeti and the Almas of Mongolia, but, yeah, where is, where is that missing link fossil? Well, one of the things is, and we were talking about this earlier, about why don't people just find, uh, Bigfoot dead on the trail or something, and it's the same reason why you don't see a bear, a dead bear on the trail while you're hiking. 
and things don't become fossils. If a bear suddenly dies of old age in the wood, wood uh, he's not going to become a fossil. Um, if you if you uh, you know shoot a a deer and just leave him in the woods, he won't become a fossil either. So we're so the idea that Bigfoot is out there and that he is some kind of missing link that between humans and 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 the apes. Yeah, I mean he's he can be there without us really finding a, a fossil record necessarily because fossils are largely created through cataclysms and anomalies. Things whether they're dinosaurs or whatever, they have to be buried under tons of gravel and ash and and in, in an airless environment, and then they they create fossils. That's not what happens to most animals when they when they die. Is there possibly because there are more intelligent creatures a Bigfoot burial ground? I'm not being well, silly. This is a question. Yeah, no, right. I'm, uh, no, exactly. And uh, I mean, that's it. The, they are intelligent that way, and they're. I mean, they are partly human, uh, I believe, in the sense that they do things like a human. They they have sort of families. Uh, they would maybe bury the dead and have some. I don't think there's some big Bigfoot burial ground in the you know up in Washington that they all the Bigfoot go to, but. When within their tribe, as you might call it, yeah, they would they would bury the the dead if if something happened. Um, even have their own weird Bigfoot funeral, you know. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they in those ways they would they would act more like humans rather than than just complete animals. They they really are uh, partly human. They have intelligence. They want to know, they're very curious. And from what I've gathered with Bigfoot stories, Bigfoot wants to know what we're doing. He's, he's afraid of us. He doesn't want to really come into the cities and stuff. He knows that that's not his place. But people who live in remote uh, forested areas, yeah, they, it's quite possible that they'll be visited by Bigfoot. And, and Bigfoot's curious about them. He wants to know what, what they're doing. I know this is kind of like a hypothetical question, but you know, as we've touched on this angle about these creatures potentially being semi-human or part-human, what do you think the legal ramifications would be if these creatures were found to be related to us? I mean, could it potentially stop logging, you know, with the huge logging companies? Because we're actually talking about the habitat of a type of human being that we would be cutting down. It would be the same as, you know, chopping down somebody's backyard in theory, if they had legal rights as a type of human. I mean, do you think the legal issues might have a bearing upon the fact that nobody in the official world wants to deal with it? You know, Nick, I think that's exactly it. Uh, as, I've, as I've researched this and, and talked to people, I've more or less come to that conclusion that, yeah, the officials, they don't want Bigfoot to be, be recognized, really, because it will create more problems than uh than they want to deal with, which is exactly what you're saying. They'll suddenly they'll we'll have to create literally, you know, protection areas for Bigfoot and we'll have to declare them uh some kind of protected species. It would stop logging. Um even uh you know Bigfoot rights groups spring up and uh they would you know, they're uh, campaigning for, for Bigfoot uh, just like they do other animals and things and and, and there's just a giant can of worms that the, the authorities just don't want to open up. 
Something else they would be afraid of, I think, is if they were to acknowledge that certain areas had Bigfoot in it. I mean, that would, because of the popularity of, of paranormal stuff and these TV shows of monster hunters and everything, suddenly, yeah, every... Uh, Every crazy uh, young buck with a with a gun, you know, want, descends on some, you know, uh, wilderness area or some swamp in Arkansas or something. And stuff like this has already happened. And yeah, they're out to capture Bigfoot and shoot it. Let's go uh, get ourselves a Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, and, and actually, with the um, what they call the the Boggy Creek monster, or it's actually known as the the folk monster in arkansas that's what happened i mean they i mean they made a couple of movies about this too but when and and in those in those stories bigfoot actually went to this remote cabin and was trying to get at this teenage girl who ran screaming i mean so but later what happened was uh and that area was famous for these bigfoot and swamp apes that yeah hunting parties you know went into those swamps um, they were they were out to shoot the Boggy Creek monster kind of thing, and of course the police and the rangers they don't want that, and you get a bunch of you know crazy monster hunters who are armed, running around just like it, just like in hunting season it's dangerous. Uh, people are shooting at each other. They they're trigger happy. They it's uh, they should know, have, the they rangers do not want this. Take a tranquilizer gun with a heavy-duty dose of some sort of, you know, super powerful uh, sedative or tranquilizer. Go out and tranq one. Hey, I tell you, we're just about out of time, but I like the idea of the tranquilizer or maybe a taser, although tasers can sometimes be fatal. David Hatcher Childress, take maybe 45 seconds or so and tell us about this book. Well, I, Yeti Sasquatch and Hairy Giants, it's, it's my latest book. It, it's only been out a few months. I, it's got a color photo section in it of all the latest Bigfoot uh, photos. I, that's relatively impress- impressive. I, Nick said he liked it. And what I've tried to do in this book is, is give a pretty round uh, explanation of Bigfoot all over the world, uh, the best evidence I could find, and bring people up to speed of the last 10 years of all the fascinating Bigfoot sightings that have happened. Nick Redfern, where do we find more of the things that you do? At nickredfern.com, an easy one. Chris O'Brien, less easy, where do we find more of your stuff? Ourstrangeplanet.com and at the Paracast. As a matter of fact, Chris is one of our forum moderators. So if you check at forum.theparacast.com, Chris hangs out there. You'll find more of the things he does. Being a moderator also, if you're a bad boy or girl, he'll do something about it. David Hatcher, Childress, Chris O'Brien, Nick Redfern, thank you all for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks, uh, Gene and Nick. Great show. The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. Paracast.